Welcome. I hope they're louder in Manistee. Welcome, crickets. We got a full house here, Buckley. What's going on? We're pretty close to it. Well done. Welcome. All right. Yeah, I don't know what you... Yeah, I, I guess it's kind of hard to know how do you respond to that. Whatever. Uh, well, that's how we start our Christmas series with welcome. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, uh, if you haven't already guessed, we're taking a little break from our Samuel series. Uh, we did have one person uh, last week. What? We're done? No, we've got a long ways to go in First and Second Samuel. But uh, for December, uh, we're going to spend some time in the Psalms in our series called, uh, as you can see, Savior, Shepherd, King. And we're going to be diving into the Psalms. But before we go there, uh, there's just two things I need to draw your attention to. Uh, if you're one of these persons that's wise enough to avoid social media, you may not know. But earlier this week, uh, I took it upon myself um, as part of the leadership of this church to impose a quarantine. Everyone else is imposing quarantines. And so uh, we decided that I would also impose a quarantine. And the quarantine... Uh, you guys know what the quarantine is on, right? Complaining or grumbling. The tabernacle is officially, see, I have to say this because not everybody's on the FOSS book, right? Or wherever it is that we put that. Um, the tabernacle is officially for the month of December, just the month of December, okay? We have to stop the spread. We have to stop the virus. Grumbles and complaints will not be heard until 2021. And if you agree, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, I must have hit a nerve because it kind of went a little bit viral more than more of, you know, our regular posts. Um, So I also want to say that if the post hurt your feelings, that is called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you could talk to a pastor about that. But we love everybody. We're not sad. It's not over the top, but it was just kind of getting, I was grumbling and complaining. Okay. So there's a confession. So uh, we're going to put a mask on that. We're going to stop the spread, flatten the curve as much as we can, duct tape if, we're, if necessary. And instead, we're going to learn how to be grateful because it is the holidays, right? It's Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. And if that's not reason enough to be grateful, uh, we thought we'd go ahead and share with you after um, All of the stuff that we've been able to count up from the big give. We've never done a big give that's strictly online or where we haven't been passing offering buckets and uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm excited to tell you, I want to get the number right, uh, that our treasurer has told me that um, our church gave uh, 98,493 bucks. Isn't that cool? 98,000. 493. And one of the reasons we waited so long is because people are, you know, traveling or, oh yeah, the big give and they were all coming in late. And uh, so we were like kind of hoping we could get to that 100K because that sounds cool. 98,000. We're grateful for that, but 100K, that would be cool. So uh, if, if you're one of those guys, I just want you to know, just if you miss the big give, make your check out for $1,507. And then we can, no, I'm just messing with you, right? We are grateful. Now, as we dive into the Psalms series, confession, the Psalms, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Psalms are songs or they're poetry. Now, at the tabernacle, as all Christians should believe, we believe that all of uh, God's word is inspired by his spirit and that there are no wasted words. However, I will tell you, I struggle with poetry. I struggle big time with poetry. In fact, in my college days, uh, 
I'm, I'm remembering right now that my freshman year of college, uh, I had to take like an English literature thing. And during the poetry section, I was assigned uh, to write a paper about a certain poet who also, by the way, happens to be my least favorite poet at the time, the great American Emily Dickinson. I thought she was just sad. She always wore black, even though, you know, <laughs> I'm one to talk, but uh, she, she was just a depressing poet to me. And I had to write a paper on Emily Dickinson. Trust me, there's a point to this story. And so I used all of my powers of the English language. I, sl- I d- absolutely destroyed Emily Dickinson, her worldview. It was anti-biblical Christian. And, you know, as far, you know, just, it wasn't even good poetry, right? My professor was so impressed. He asked me permission to show the, the, the paper to the head of the English department. And I said, absolutely. So he showed that paper to Dr. Mary Brown. And I was, you know, I, and then someone said, hey, guess what? I said, what? He was like, do you know uh, her oldest daughter is named Emily? I went, oh, snap. Didn't matter. I'm in the history department, right? I'm a history government major. And then I get to my senior year and my advisor says, you need an English class in order for you to graduate. No problem. There's only one available and there's no spaces in it. Okay, what's the class? Poetry. All right. What do I got to do to get in that class? You need to talk to the head of the department who also teaches that class. What's her name? Dr. Mary Brown. So all of it, you guys aren't putting the pieces together yet? So hat in hand, desperate for three credit hours of poetry, I finally met this lady, right? And I had a very awkward uh, uh, interview with her because she began with, oh, Mr. Vermilia, yes, I've seen your name before. Didn't you write a paper several years ago? And I'm like, this is not going to go well. But it did. I gained a new appreciation for poetry because I got in the class and someone explained it to me. Are you with me so far? And to wrap up the story, uh, my younger brother, Jim, ended up marrying that Emily Brown. She's my sister-in-law. So, oh, isn't that cool? Open your Bibles if you have one, Psalm 22, enough of that stuff. Where we're going to go with Savior, Shepherd, King is obviously we're talking about Jesus because all of Scripture is about Jesus. And all the Psalms are about Jesus. All this poetry, this God-inspired poetry written thousand, a thousand years prior points to Jesus, even though the authors didn't even know what they were necessarily writing. And as I was studying for this series, Christmas just kept popping out. Because if you think about it, Jesus came to be our savior. You know, when we think of shepherd, I mean, every Christmas pageant has shepherds, right? They're always a part of that story. And of course, Jesus came to be our king. And so we're going to look at a trilogy tonight or this weekend. We're just going to look at Psalm 22 And then uh, we'll look at 23, 24, and then a fourth psalm. And uh, uh, we'll see what God has for us. So starting in uh, chapter 22 of the book of Psalms, I'll start in verse 1. And uh, we'll see if some of this is familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So we'll just pause right there. And uh, to make this observation, these are the words of a desperate, desperate man. And you don't have to be a poet to get that. We believe this psalm was written by David. And David was a warrior poet. He, he, he could lead men in battle, but he could also lead them in praise and worship. He was a singer as well, right? He was a musician. And we don't know exactly when he wrote these words. We know the time frame that it was a thousand years before the Christmas story, before Jesus came to earth, God in flesh. We can only guess. Maybe it was when he was in exile. Maybe it was when, when, when Saul was after him. And if you stay with us through the Samuel series, you'll see Uh, more about that story. It could have been later in life when his own son tried to overthrow him as king and he had to go into exile again. But whatever the occasion, this is a desperate, desperate, desperate man. In fact, if there's ever a psalm that kind of encapsulates many of our experiences through this last year, it would be this psalm, right? My bones are out of joint. The bulls, they surround me. People's mouths, they wag at me, right? In fact, there was that one line when it it says, uh, dogs surround me, wild dogs. I I, I had the privilege with my daughter to go uh, and hunt in the Upper Peninsula uh, last weekend. And we were there with uh, a high-impact outdoor ministry. It's a ministry that our church, that we, you, uh, support uh, through, through, through our giving, and uh, um, I, I had the unique opportunity of, of sitting in a deer stand in the Upper Peninsula and not seeing not one, not two, not four, six wolves. An entire pack of wolves just ruined the hunt. 
And I'm not going to lie to you, even though I was inside a little building with a heater all bundled up and I'm armed, (laughs) I haven't felt that way since the first time I shot a deer. The adrenaline rush, the danger. Because no matter how cute you think they are, those things looked as big as lions. And they're built for one thing, to kill. And in that moment, I thought they were out to kill me. (laughs) You're not going there with me with wolves? Trying to work that in to the sermon someplace. It was pretty cool. What can we get from this psalm? The psalm points to the Savior. In fact, if you're familiar at all with the gospel story, if you're familiar at all with the story of Jesus and the story of the cross, you may have seen some things or heard some things just in the reading, just in those verses. You see, the first thing that we can grab out of this psalm and the way it connects to Christmas, we'll get there, but is this. It's simply that we can trust the Bible. We can trust the Bible. Now, if you're not sure you believe in the Bible or you're not sure you believe you can trust in the Bible, maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're listening, watching it online, and you're not sure. I want to take a little bit of time because this is pretty cool, and you don't have to be a Bible nerd to enjoy this, right? Let me set it up. This was written by David, inspired by God's spirit, a thousand years before Christ. We've already said that. And yet in this psalm, Psalm 22, we find no less than 12 separate references, 12 different prophecies, allusions, fulfillments that happened at the cross of Christ. So just to fill in the blanks, God came to earth as a man to be a sacrifice, to be our savior, offering himself, his body, his blood, so that by faith we can be saved. And the reason I say we can trust the Bible is even people that don't believe in Christ agree that David was a real guy. They agree that David wrote this a thousand years before Jesus. And the facts that Jesus was a real guy and he died on a cross in a certain way, they agree on that. So they may not have put their faith in him, but we can trust the Bible. Check this out. If we look in uh, verse one, did that sound familiar? You're going to have to give me some feedback. The very first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you heard that before? On the cross. Those were some of the words that Jesus uttered from the cross. Now you could sit here and say, well, you know, he obviously knew the Bible. And when he was hanging there, he was obviously thinking about Psalm 22 because it was a desperate man in a desperate time. How was that a fulfillment? Well, when David wrote it, he had no idea that his God would utter those same words when creation turned on him and hung him on a tree. That's just the first one. Here's the second one. In verse six, he says, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. That's how David felt. But a thousand years later, this is the crowd when this sinless man, the king of kings, is dragged before Pilate. And what did the crowd yell? Crucify, crucify, crucify him. And Pilate said, will I crucify your king? What did they say? We have no king except Caesar. How did he control that? In the next verse, verse seven, it says, all who see me mock me. The gospels record that when Jesus died, there were thieves on either side of him and even they joined in the mocking. The fourth one is the very next line. They make mouths at me, they wag their 
heads. The exact same words are used in the gospels to describe the crowd. They wagged their heads at him, the onlookers, those that walked by. In fact, here's the fifth one in verse eight. David writes, he, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. The exact words that the crowd threw at Jesus' face. He trusted in God, let's see if God will save him. Does anybody else get a little tingle when they read these things? That's five. Number six, in verse 14, he says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Did anybody here see the passion of the Christ? Just come on, you're gonna have to participate. Hands in the air. Okay, yeah, if you saw it, yeah. Do you see that moment when they're, when they're trying to pull his arms wide enough so they can get the nail in the spot? And what did they have to do with every crucifixion victim? They have to pull that shoulder socket out of joint. How do you control the way you're gonna die? How do you control the way you're going to be executed? How do you control whether they're going to pull your joints out of place? It's how David felt. It's what Jesus experienced. The seventh one is in verse 15. He says, my tongue sticks to my jaws. Another translation says, my tongue sticks to the the roof of my mouth. Some of the other words Jesus spoke from the cross. Do you remember? I thirst. In verse 16, He says, a company of evildoers encircles me. He was surrounded by Romans. He was surrounded by mockers. He was surrounded by thieves. In fact, the only ones that we know that were there that weren't anti-Jesus was his mother, Mary Magdalene, and the apostle John. Everyone else, evildoers. Verse nine, they've pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. Again, in verse 18, for my clothing, they cast lots. This is an apologetics chapter. This is a defense of the Bible is true. The defense of the truth of scripture that what was written a thousand years ago comes true in the death of Christ. The one who came to be our savior. Friends, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that we can trust the Bible. We can trust the Bible. It is true. For thousands of years, people have been trying to disprove it. And all we end up doing is back where we started. But if the Bible's true and we can trust it, that requires something from us. You see, we can't just say, oh, well, yeah, the Bible's true. And here, that's another example of how things come true and prophecies are fulfilled and so forth and so on. But what does that have to do with me? And what does that have to do with Christmas? Glad you asked. These are the words of a desperate man. And we desperately need the Savior. We desperately need the Savior. Now, again, I don't know under what circumstances David wrote this. Was this a result, this desperation, this how he felt when he put pen to paper? Was, it, was this a result of his own sin? Maybe. Maybe. David wasn't perfect. Scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. And obviously the Holy Spirit is using him to write Holy Scripture through the Psalms. But we know he wasn't perfect. We know he was an adulterer. He lied. He murdered. Try to cover it up. If you go throughout the Samuel series with us, you're going to find he wasn't that great of a father. A little bit of a failure, at least with some of his sons. Maybe he's desperate because it's the result of his own sin. 
But maybe it's a result of the sin of others. That's 2020, isn't it? That's your situation, isn't it? That's my situation. A wise woman told my wife years ago when she was going through a rough time, she suggested that she read through the Psalms. And I can't remember my wife's exact response, but neither one of us were big fans of poetry. But she said something to the effect of, start reading through the Psalms, just power through until one grabs you. And then when it grabs you, you won't forget it. And that one will be for you. Because if you read through the Psalms, it's like praise, mourning. God, you're the best. God, kill all my enemies. (laughs) Right? And that's exactly what she did. And, and, And if you don't feel like you desperately need a savior, there's gonna come a point where you will feel that way. Some of the stories that we've even heard just just the past week of just what some members of our congregation are going through. Devastating. People in our congregation have lost loved ones to coronavirus. Devastating. And people are still struggling to make a living, struggling to deal with all of the anxiety, and we're still not sure how the election's going to turn out. Well, whether it's external circumstances or the guilt and shame that we all carry, I think that's a true statement. And we can relate to Psalm 22 that we desperately need a savior. We need a savior personally. We need a savior for our families. We need a savior to enter into our marriages, into our relationships. Part of the, part of the, you know, the quarantine that I said as far as grumbling and complaining is because it points to the fact that all of us, myself included, were sinners desperately in need of a savior. And what happens is we take our eyes off that and we put our eyes on circumstances and then we get distracted and then we're not grateful. We start believing the lie that we deserve better because we're humans. Instead of being full of the joy of the Lord, by being grateful for who he is and what he's done for us. If there's ever been a time or ever will be a time when you could relate to the Psalm 22, those words we just read, you know that we're desperately in need of a savior. You know, when David wrote those words, Israel was just being established as a kingdom. But what you may not know that it was only six, 700 years later when Israel was ravaged from the outside. And then it wasn't very long after that where God stopped speaking through the prophets. We have hundreds of years of silence. And during that time, Israel was occupied by Rome and they were oppressed again. And and they had all of the Old Testament, including Psalm 22, 23, and 24, that promised a Messiah. And yet, there was no Messiah until an angel appeared to a young girl. And after that, to her fiance, you know the story. This people desperate in need of a savior. And Matthew chapter one says, now the birth of Jesus Christ 
took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You see, the promised Messiah was a promised savior for people who desperately need a savior, who desperately need rescue. And if there's anything true that I might utter in this message, believe this part. Your Savior sees you, knows you, and he cares about you. And he exists to save you, to give you his love, that you might receive his grace through faith. And he's not just a savior for the past. He's a savior for right now. And he's a savior for the future. Do you believe that? I get fired up at Christmas. Usually about the theology part. All the other elf on the shelf. I don't, eh, whatever. But he was promised to Mary. He was promised to Joseph. And it's interesting. Later on, when the angel appeared to the shepherds the night of Jesus' birth, said, today is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to be a savior. He was the promised savior. And we're in desperate, desperate need of one. And by the way, if ever there's a time this country is in desperate need of the savior, it's right now. And I believe we're on the cusp of something great. I'll take you back up to the UP. I'm not going to tell you all the details of that because, that, you know, sometimes in a deer stand, that, that's, that's God time. There's some real in-depth where I, I feel like he's speaking to me. And I'm going to tell you, I've only said this out loud one other time. When I saw the wolves come out, that's how I feel about the church. Not that the church are the wolves, that the wolves are coming for us. There's a killer out circling us. He wants to pick us off one at a time, divide families, divide people from the church, divide people from the community, scatter the church as much as they possibly can. And our job is to fight that with every bit of our being. We don't have to fight alone. We have a savior who rescues us from the wild dogs, just like in the psalm. We desperately need rescued. There's good news, though. The good news is, if you know the Christmas story, if you know the gospel story, is that the cross, put the, the cross puts things right. The cross puts things right. Everything is fulfilled in the cross of Christ. The years of waiting, the years of prophecy, the, 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 the psalms that are written and uttered and felt and then come true later, and it's like, oh, now I see. The cross puts things right in me, in you, in us. 
It takes care of the past. It's our hope for the future. It's our reason for right now. All of that is put right by the cross. This church is established on the cross. I know we've had a history of people trying to, you know, fight about decorating the church with crosses. Make no mistake, whether it's decorated or not, this church is about the cross. The Bible is, has the cross as the centerpiece. The centerpiece of the gospel is the cross. And it's because it's the cross that puts things right. And so if you don't know Christ, or if you're wavering, or if you need encouragement, that's where we direct our attention at Christmas. It's not just to, you know, point, what are they, the poinsettias? Are they poinsettias or poinsettias? Whatever, the little gaudy red flowers that people only like once a year, you know what I'm saying? Whether It's not about the poinsettias and the Santa and watching all the, oh, the retread movies. I'm tired of Macaulay Culkin. Go away. It was funny the first time, bro. It's, but, but when we reorient ourselves to the cross, when we reorient ourselves to the gospel, that's what makes everything right. That's what, you know, makes it okay. I'm going to put a duct tape on the complaints, at least till 2021. Which, by the way, following the example of our governor, that may or may not be extended. We'll see when we get there. Some of you got that. But when we see the promised Savior for who he is and what he's done on the cross, there's only one result. And the result is our salvation, our rescue. Our rescue from all the past. You don't have to carry guilt and shame. Our rescue right now because it gives us a better perspective. Our reason and our hope for the future. And when we reorient ourselves to that, then our heart can just, to be poetic, burst forth with praise. I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. Mom, I hope you're impressed. But that's what happens. That's what happens. We know we can trust the Bible. We know that we're in desperate need, need of a savior. And when the cross puts things right, then God gets the last word on everything. When he shows up in our life. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go old school because it's Christmas. We're going to read the rest of the psalm because it bursts forth with praise. The first half of the psalm, like so many poems, was this is how bad things are. And then there's a turn. And if you're a you know, literary geek, and I'm not going to do that to you this weekend, but you'll see that the rest of the psalm goes up and up and up because God gets the last word. Jesus had the last words on the cross. God had the last words when he was put into the ground. Death couldn't hold him, and he comes back to life, conquering Satan's sin and death. He lives today. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, and by the way, he's coming back someday. And he doesn't get elected. He's not worried about electoral votes. He's not worried about anyone stealing his election. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. His cross puts things right. So what we're going to do with the rest of the psalm is I'm going to read the words in white, and you're going to read the words in yellow. You want to do that? 
A little participation. I know sometimes you just want to come in here and be invisible. Sorry, we're not that church. It's Christmas. Don't be a Grinch. All right? So loud and proud, you read the yellow. Say yellow just to warm up. Just say yellow. All right, don't, don't be reading my part. We're going to read the yellow part. All right? Verse 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. See, that wasn't so hard. Now, a little bit louder and a little bit less frozen chosen. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get a little charismatic with seatbelts here just for a minute. Keep your seatbelt on. We have security, but let's try to do it just a little bit better. Right? So for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him, go from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Just you all. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous. Before. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation together. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Do you see that we showed up in the Christmas story? Did you see that we showed up in the Psalm? Right there in that last verse, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's you. That's me. That's us. That the gospel would be proclaimed. This promised savior, who by the way is also a shepherd and a king. We'll get to that. The ones yet unborn. And one more thing, I I just couldn't resist. Just nerd with me just a little bit. That last thing, it says that he has done it. That's how it says in the ESV. This is number 12 prophecy fulfilled. I didn't catch it till late this week. In the original translation, it says to a people yet unborn that it is done. What were the last words? Tetelestai. On the cross. Tetelestai. It is done. Sometimes translated, it is finished. You can trust your Bible, friends. We can trust the Bible. And every single one of us, from the oldest to the youngest, from students to preachers, to retired folks, to people that have a lot of opinions, to those lovely people that offered to buy the staff lunch this week. All of us are in desperate need of a savior. And it's the cross that puts things right. Past, present, future. It's done. And if you put your faith in God's grace, if you trust him, Your sins, past, present, future, paid for it. That's a good deal. That's a gift. The best Christmas 
gift of all. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for who you are, for your word, for your promises, for the holy scriptures, for prophecies, for men like David who just wrote down what they were told to write. And even in the midst of their pain, not knowing that thousands and thousands of years later, we would relate or be able to relate. God, I can't possibly know what everyone listening or watching to this message is going through, but you know. And without knowing each story, God, we know the human condition is all of us are in desperate need of a savior. Would you teach us again? Would you remind us again? Would you encourage us again that it's the cross that puts everything right And so we can put our trust and faith in you. We can believe what you've said. We can believe that your words are better than any human words or opinions. And that by your blood, we can be saved. By your blood, our past, our present, our future can be taken care of. You've done it. You've done all the hard work. God, would you help us to focus on that at the beginning of this Christmas season together. May our hearts be touched by your spirit in such a way that we would be filled with joy. All of this, God, for your glory and in Christ's name that we pray.